Hi, on today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, I'm going to be talking about a very uplifting subject, death. Stay tuned. It'll be fun. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Yes, and welcome back to this lively discussion about death. You know... You might be wondering why I would talk about something like this. Let me just bring my microphone closer. Um, Yeah, sorry, I should have done that sooner. Death is an interesting thing. We we fear death. We we are stopped cold by death. We die when we die, and things are like, what? You know, different. Uh, and, and for some people, that's that's a problem. I, I read a book a long time ago called um, the. Uh, well, I'm not sure actually which book it was in. It was in Carlo, one of Carlos Castaneda's books um, that I read back in the college years. The first book I read, which was the first book in the series, was the Teachings of Don Juan, a um, Yaqui way of knowledge, uh, theoretically, possibly a little bit. Uh, Carlos Castaneda was an anthropologist who. Um, met and worked with this uh, Yaqui medicine man, sorcerer person named uh, Don Juan Mateos. And um, some of the the things that he learned from him were about how to become a a medicine man, a sorcerer. And um, in Don Juan's tutelage, he said the first step is to become a warrior. And um, one of the things you do as a warrior is you become a recognizing that death can be an advisor, that death is always stalking you, as he put it, and death is your advisor. Um, It was somewhere around that time that death visited my life quite a bit. My dad died on my 21st birthday. I had friends, uh, I had a friend who was murdered, a friend who killed herself, a friend who died of cancer. It was a lot of of death. So um, I had trouble. I had some serious trouble with this concept of letting death be an advisor. It's like, death sucked, you know. In many ways, it does. It sucks. But um, but later on, I discovered this quote. I was visiting a Shaker Museum in Massachusetts, and there was a quote by, I believe, someone, you can Google this, it's Mother, um, boy, I'm going to get this wrong, Mother, and Taylor, I don't know, somebody um, who was who was kind of the founder of the Shaker religion, if you will. Um, fabulous religion. They, they invented Shaker furniture and Shaker um, boxes and chairs, and they invented the washing machine. Wonderful religion. They would um, get into this religious ecstasy, kind of a trance, really, and shake. And that's why they're called the Shakers, because they're in this religious extra. I think Franz Anton Mesmer, the original hypnotist person, would have loved that. He said, well, yes, it's a group animal magnetism experience. At any rate, they, um, Mother Anne Lee, 
I think her name was, um, had this quote that I purchased. It was this little piece of paper, basically, I bought for a dollar at the gift shop. But basically, it was a bookmark, I think. Um, but it said, do all your work as if you must, if you knew you must die tomorrow. And at the same time, as if you'd live for a thousand years. And when I saw that, I went, oh, yes, that's how death can be an advisor. Because if you have both those things, you know, that you know you're going to die tomorrow. So what happens if you're going to die tomorrow? You appreciate, right? You appreciate this life, right? And you savor, oh, my God, water. You know, just everything is like, whoa, this may be the last time I ever check my texts. You know, I want to check them. You know, it's, it's like everything is just amazing. Wow, this is great. Ah, breathing, able to breathe, walk, move. You know, you appreciate everything. And at the same time, if you knew you're going to live for a thousand years, you want to make sure you, you know, you when you make that shaker chair, you, you know, you do it right. So you don't have to repair it in five years or whatever. You know, you do it right the first time you get it. You work meticulously to make sure that this chair will last you for a thousand years or this, you know, box that you're making will, will last you for a thousand years. You know, it's a very interesting concept. And that's one of the things I think that comes from the field, at least in my way of thinking about it, of the field of Ericksonian hypnosis. I don't remember ever seeing Erickson saying this, but I heard Stephen Gilligan say this a half a million times, I think, over the years, which is to enjoy both at the same time. According to Gilligan, um, the, the, one of the concepts from Ericksonian hypnosis, and again, I haven't found where Erickson said this specifically, Probably did, but I haven't found it. Um, haven't searched that diligently either, however, but it's never popped up. But the idea is that the conscious mind is different from your unconscious mind, as Erickson would put it, other than conscious, if you were Dave Dobson talking about it. But the conscious mind is different from that other than conscious mind in that the conscious mind is a, organized in a kind of either-or mentality, an either-or logic base that's either good or it's bad. It's black or white. It's digital, you might say. It's good or it's bad. It's up or down, off or on, you know, one or the other. Can't be both. The other than conscious mind is perfectly amenable, apparently, to this other way of being, that things could both be this and that at the same time. Not, not sequentially, but simultaneously. Both bad and good, black and white, off and on, at the very same time blows the conscious mind's mind. No, it can't. You can't have both at the same time. But the unconscious mind is used to this sort of thing. You know, you're you're dreaming at night. You know, you're dreaming at night. You're dreaming about, uh, I don't know, walking through a snowstorm or something, and you're shivering, and you're looking for shelter, and blah, blah, blah. And um, But you're actually lying warm in your bed. You know, and it's, but your unconscious mind is going, like, yeah, that's okay you know, both at the same time. I'm warm in my bed and I'm shivering in the cold. It's okay to have both at the same time. So this both and concept is really kind of neat and really kind of a great way for me of appreciating death and how we can appreciate you're going to die tomorrow and you're going to live forever, <coughs> at least for a thousand years. It's really, really nice concept. 
because for exactly the reasons I said. Now, over in the corner there, you see a piano. I, I spent many years studying how to play that instrument. Well, I went to college for it. I went five years, one year at a conservatory in London. Worked my tail off to get good at it and then uh, moved to New York City to play in rock and roll bands. And I taught at a conservatory there and played some classical concerts. And uh, that was all well and good until I discovered NLP somewhere mid 80s and uh, started segueing, if you will, over into this chosen field that I've chosen for myself. And what's cool is that um, come COVID, my wife and I came up to this little country house that we have and um, we have a piano here. So I've been able to play a lot more than I did when I was in the city <coughs> where I didn't have a piano in my apartment. And of course, even if you do have a piano in your apartment, if you've ever had a piano in your apartment, you know your neighbors don't always appreciate your musicality, especially at night or early in the morning or in the day or pretty much any time. You know, but pianos have a nasty uh, reality is that they are an acoustic instrument, at least, you know, obviously acoustic pianos I'm talking about, where um, vibrations of all these big strings vibrate the instrument, which is sitting on the floor. And so if your floor happens to be your neighbor's ceiling, it becomes a sounding board for their apartment. So they, you know, any rate, I digress. Um, I've been playing piano a lot more since I've been up here in the past couple couple years or so. And um, I've regained some of my past skills in it, which has been very, 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 very nice to have. And so the idea of, you know, working all the time, I work a lot. I don't leave the house very often, but I work a lot. Um, but I also play a lot. I'm able to have a kind of balance of work, play. Plus, of course, my wife lives here. She works more than I do. She works as hard, at least, as, as I do. And so our, our playtime is limited, but we just had our lovely weekend. You know, it's, it's nice. She's back down in New York City for today, blah, blah, blah. And it's, I think, really great advice from Carlos Castaneda to let death be an advisor. You know, appreciate what you have to the fullest. It could all go boom tomorrow. You never know. You never know. We all know people during COVID. <coughs> excuse me. I'm actually recovering still a little bit from my bout of COVID a few weeks ago. Well, dry cough still lingering. Um, we all know people that have passed and sometimes suddenly, sometimes far too soon. And it's shocking. It sort of pulls the rug out from under you. We've all had that experience. It's part of life, unfortunately. And, you know, what do we do with that? Do we let it stop us? Do we let us let it ruin our experience of life? Certainly hope not. Um, what we can do instead is to choose to say, yes, that means we're going to live life to the fullest. And, and um, you know, mother would want us to, to appreciate, want us, want us to have this party or whatever. Um, and I'm not always sure that's necessarily true. <laughs> My mother might be saying, hey, what are you guys partying for? I just died a few years ago, you know, but um, <laughs> 
but mothers are like that. But mostly, mostly it's true. But we get to decide for ourselves, don't you? I mean, you do. You get to decide for yourself. And you can decide to fully embrace life and love and wings. And, you know, I'm just always reminded of, of that poem by E.E. E. Cummings. I, I've read it to you or recited it to you before in our poetry podcasts. But, um, yeah, yesterday I was walking down this uh, rail trail not far from here. It's a, it's a lovely, you know, sort of na nature trail at this point. It was a railroad line for years, 100 years ago, and then um, fell out of use and then made into a rail trail in the past few years. So it's a nice, nice place to go for a hike or walk. And uh, I was on it yesterday going past these beaver dams, not beaver dams, but beaver ponds. There's a beaver dam someplace to create the pond. I didn't see the dam itself, but out there there's, you know, beaver um, huts or mounds. There's, I'm sure there's a den, beaver den, word for it. But uh, nevertheless, trail goes right past it. It's very picturesque, very interesting. Haven't seen any beavers, but plenty of evidence for them being there, I trust the signs that say they are beavers there. And um, anyway, I, this, this poem came to me once again, you know, that's is E.E. Uh, e. Cummings says, I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. And I don't, you know, have a stringent belief in God. I don't know if I feel like I'm smart enough to say declaratively that there isn't one. But, um, but every now and again, it feels right to say that sort of thing. And it does to me. Say, I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and the blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay, great, happening, illimitably Earth. This is an interesting little phrase here from E.E. E. Cummings. He goes, how should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt unimaginable you? Now the ears of my ears awake, now the eyes of my eyes are opened. It's a great poem. It's a great poem. And that little, you know, theology moment of like, how could anybody doubt you? You know, anybody who can see, hear, taste, experience life this fully and appreciate it this fully. How could anybody doubt that there's, you know, this unimaginable you? <laughs> it's a great quote. <laughs> how could I doubt an unimaginable you? It's such a great line. Um, and again, within those poems, within that poem, there's that both end, you know, how could I doubt something that I can't imagine? What? What? Wait a minute. Let me wrap my brain around that phrase. It's just so interesting. How could I doubt unimaginable you? It's great. So we we appreciate life when we appreciate death. You know, it's it's kind of like right now in the Northeast, as I record this, it's back to long sleeve weather. You know, it's I've got the heat on in this little building of ours. We're having some guys out here in a few weeks to, you know, add some more insulation into the basement in the dry, rim joist area between the 
house in the basement foundation um, should help a lot for this coming winter's heating bills and in the future beyond that, which is, of course, the most important part because it ain't cheap to do the, the job, but it'll be good long range living at life as if we're going to live for a thousand years, at least maybe 30 you know, for a while. You know, I don't know if we'll be here necessarily, but, you know, we want to be warm while we are. So we're doing this rim joist job, putting some new basement windows in that are long overdue. Um, anyway, the idea is it's it's cold here and getting colder. You know, winter is a coming. The leaves are turning different colors and starting to fall off the trees. It's uh, a change of seasons. And it is always feels a little like death, you know, doesn't it? Because things, at least they go dormant. It's a different sequence of stuff. Some things do, in fact, die. Uh, they leave their seeds for the next generation, but the plants, the annual plants, die, right? And so it's a very different sort of feel for things. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful time of year. And of course, when winter comes here in the Northeast, generally speaking, there's snow. And again, different. It feels like a very dormant sort of time. And it's beautiful. Every season has its beauty. It's one of the beautiful things about having you know, the seasons, if you live in this sort of climate area, this, that's what we tell ourselves. <laughs> we, we repeat it over and over. I love the seasons. I really, I love, love sweater weather. I love this kind of weather where you put a sweater on in the morning and then regret it in the afternoon and take it off again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it is it, it just as a, as a reminder of this sort of seasonal thing. And that's, I think, where actually some even religions have come from is the plants dying and coming back again in the springtime. There's like life after death kind of scenario, isn't there? You know, I think it's where that, that concept comes from. Certainly, you know, if you kill a, a stag for dinner, it doesn't come back to life again after dessert. You no, know, so we didn't get the idea of life after death from animals. I think we got it from, uh, from plants and watching nature and how that uh, rebirth happens on a regular basis. Excuse me, instead of coughing in your face, I'm just going to drink a little water. Mmm, water. Ah. You know, as we do age, um, I think it's really important for us as humans to recognize this and appreciate this both and thing. But as coaches, one of the essential coaching skills I think we have is to also perhaps to pass along this message to our charges, to our clients, to our, our coaching clients. I think it's really important. I think it's pretty uh, essential in life because we can get, as human beings, we can get inspired, we can get motivated in different ways. But there's something that's, you know, really motivating about a deadline. I've told you my story, I think, in previous podcasts about my work with Aaron Copeland. Um, it was one of the honors of my life to meet some amazing, amazing musicians, you know, Michael Tilson Thomas, uh, um, Terry Riley. I, I've met some amazing people, George Crumb. And, you know, one of the people you might have heard of that I've met was Aaron Copeland. I was working, I was a student. Um, I taught, I, I studied piano, but I also studied composing and how to be a composer. And I went to this composer's symposium, I guess, in uh, 19, 
79, 80, um, in the University of Buffalo. And Aaron Copeland was one of the featured composers, as were the aforementioned Terry Riley and George Crumb, et cetera. And I remember I was I was um, in this in the front row, sitting in the front row center desk in this classroom, and Aaron Copeland was the was talking in this classroom, probably you know thirty people in there, forty maybe, and I he was standing behind the teacher's desk, you know the teacher's desk in the front of the room, and I was in the front row center, and he just to be kind of chummy, he came around the front of the desk and sat on the desk, so I'm like knee to knee with Aaron Copeland here. Right? So I'm listening to him. Whoa, pretty cool. Neat guy. And um, at some point he asked if there were any questions. Now, I honestly didn't know a lot of his work. I knew a couple of pieces. I knew Fanfare for a Common Man. I knew Appalachian Spring. And kind of, sort of, I got into composing because I had this romantic vision about what composers, why composers compose, because you got inspired by things like stories of Beethoven walking through the woods. This is an actual story and it might have truth to it, but the idea is that he was walking through the woods one day and heard all these different nature sounds, you know, birds singing and the oncoming storm and the rustle of the leaves in the wind. And he created, he wrote the pastoral symphony based on his inspiration from nature. So um, when Aaron Copeland asked if there are any questions, I had two things go through my mind. One is like, well, what the hell could I ask this guy? And two, you know, let's ask him something because I want to have some kind of connection here with, with Aaron Copeland. So I raised my hand. I said, uh, yes, Mr. Copeland, what was your inspiration for Appalachian Spring? Now, I expected a story kind of like Beethoven where, well, I was down in Appalachia and I was walking through these cornfields and I just saw the sunlight glinting and blah, blah, blah. But no, that wasn't his story. His story was, well, I was at my apartment in Brooklyn because he was a, a Brooklyn boy and lived there after college, I guess. Um, I was at my apartment in Brooklyn and my phone rang and Martha Graham was on the other line and she was, she was calling me and said, Aaron, I need 20 minutes of dance music by next Thursday. Can you have it for me? It'll be 500 bucks. And he said, I needed the money. So I said, Martha, you will have your music. And he sat down and started writing that very moment, um, 20 minutes of dance music. Now, he incorporated into this, this piece, you know, some American folk tunes. And he used to like to quote other things and then change them and make them, you know, modern. So that's what he did. <coughs> so he incorporated some, you know, folk tunes into this, this piece and he wrote 20 minutes of dance music. That's what he called it. That was his title, 20 minutes of dance music for Martha. I'm not sure if he gave it a title, but he said to Martha, okay, here's your music. Where's my money? And um, they were both very happy to get each. Martha Graham named it Appalachian Spring. She gave it the title for her dance, which incorporated some American movement and with the music and stuff, et cetera. But I thought that was absolutely fascinating. But then I was actually, at the moment that he told me that, I was kind of aghast. I was shocked. I was dismayed. I was thought, that, that's horrible. What happened to Beethoven? What happened to the Appalachian? But then he looked directly at me, looked directly at me. He said, there is nothing as inspirational as a deadline. 
let that sink in. Nothing as inspirational as a deadline. And think about that word, a deadline. There's nothing as a deadline as death. <laughs> right? It's like, hmm. Yeah, it is kind of in the word, in the sense, yeah. So we, um, yeah, we have a limitation, and that's wonderful. It's wonderful to have the limits. Wonderful to have limits. Scary, yeah. Unfortunate, yeah. Sucky, yeah, it sucks. And wonderful at the same time. And isn't it nice to know that you can enjoy both at the same time? So, speaking of deadlines, I have a. Thing I gotta get to. So I hope you haven't felt this was uh, in any way too short of a podcast. Um, we're going to have some more guests on here in a, in the next few weeks. We're going to have lots more interesting people coming on here. But uh, thanks for listening today, and uh, head over over to essentialcoachingskills.com and find out more or anything else that you want to find out about. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks. Thanks.